Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 40% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com. This is Arsecast Extra. Hello and welcome to another Arsecast Extra, as always, with James from Gunner Blog. James, good morning to you. Good morning to you. Welcome to the the season finale of football. That's how it feels a little bit today. The most insane, surreal day uh, in a long time. Yeah. How do you, like, genuinely like your gut feeling right now i mean i feel really disheartened disenfranchised disappointed with what's happened over the last couple of days or last couple of days last few hours i should say um Mm. it's quite a visceral reaction i think um Mm. We're not talking about the Fulham game, and we're not talking about Jose <laughs> Jose Mourinho being sacked. By the way, either. Um, I mean, the European. No, I found Super it difficult League. to get too excited about the Fulham game yesterday before all this. <clears throat> do you know what I mean? Um, now it feels almost absurd. Um, we will talk about it, I'm sure, but I think I feel a little bit numb. Actually, I have to say. Uh, <laughs> I've been through a lot of different emotions already. You know, there's been uh, shock and anger and disappointment and I think uh, a little bit of a sense of betrayal. Mm. Now I feel slightly detached. Um, I feel like I'm watching a bit of a circus unfold before my eyes. And I I guess I don't feel hugely part of it. You know, it feels... Football, I think, has been kind of slipping out of my hands as a fan for quite a long time. And it just feels like I've slightly let go of my grip on it in mm. the last 12 hours. Um, yeah. Which which is helpful in a way because it enables me to kind of slightly step back and be analytical. But also my detachment, I think, speaks volumes, if that makes any sense. Yeah, I mean, we should be excited. We have a European semi-final coming up. This is a football club which, despite its long and storied history, doesn't have a great record in European competitions and winning European finals. And this, regardless of how the rest of our season has gone, and nobody's saying that it was good or anything like that, you know, you're three games away from winning a European trophy, which is one of the best things that you can do as a football club. We haven't done it anywhere near enough. And, it, you know, now you're sort of thinking, well... What's the point? Yeah, what, what I mean, is- there was a 
a rumour, I think, uh, you know, incorrect last night that they pulled the European competitions. Mm. And it, I, I, I consider that unlikely, but when I saw it, I just sort of shrugged. You know, so what? It really does feel like, yeah. so what? And I think, actually, that is one of my overriding feelings, I guess, from a personal point of view, is that watching Arsenal <laughs> this season has been um, a bit of a slog and it's required quite a lot of investment. And it genuinely feels like a lot of that investment has been pointless. Uh, it does feel like we've kind of invested in and followed this slight charade of a season uh, uh, yeah. that ultimately means n- nothing. Yeah. It, uh, and I it, mean, listen, that may feel strong, no, I, no, but no, what I, I mean is that it's always had the sort of slight sort of surreal sense of meaning nothing given the absence of fans and given everything else. But as fans, you know, we have really, mm. um, you know, done our best to engage with it. And I genuinely do feel a bit like, well, what was the point? Well, I mean, you know, I have to wonder what it what it's like for the players and for the manager and and what have you as well. I know that our reaction as fans is something we're going to talk about. And look, everyone has their own opinion of what's happening at the club right now, on the pitch, off the pitch, the job that Mikel Arteta is doing. But I think, you know, if you think he's doing a good job or not doing a good job or somewhere in between, I think most people would say that, you know, at least in terms of what he said and what he wanted to do or wanted to achieve in the job, you could you could get on board with that to an extent, right? That you, he wanted to make us a competitive club again. He, you know, he kept saying that these are not the standards that are expected at Arsenal Football Club, and like, okay, you know, he has produced things which are below the standards that are expected for Arsenal Football Club. But you know, at least in his mind and and his heart, I guess, was the the ambition to make things better and to make us competitive again and to improve us and to you know hopefully create a team that could a as we kept saying get back into the top four into the champions league and then maybe a team that could compete for the title etc etc i mean what's what's the point in any of that if you're going to be part of a closed league with no promotion no relegation Mm. to win what to win what exactly a trophy that doesn't exist yet that nobody cares about I mean, they might down yeah. the line in five years' time. People will be going, oh, well, you know, thank goodness we're the European Super League winners. What a great, you know, thing that was. Maybe, you know. But right now you're thinking, well, what if this means we never get to win another league title? I'm not saying we're close to that. What if this means, and it probably does, that we will never, as a football club, lift the European Cup? You know, those are things that you grow up on wanting your club to win and to achieve. And, you know, I mentioned it in the blog today. You know, you 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 were there in Paris, um, of course. And, and what an occasion it was! Even if we lost, and I remember, I remember in the stadium, it was so gutting and so painful to lose that game the way that we did. But right at the end, as the final whistle blew, all the Arsenal fans standing, supporting, you know, together. There was a like it was like a wave of pride, I guess, went around that stadium to everybody who was there in yellow that night you know because there was an appreciation for what we had done and what we had come close to doing and I know everyone says oh you lose a final what's the fucking point but there's more to it than that there is something in the community the collective 
um, experience of football that that elevates it to this thing that we invest so much of our time in. Mm. And now that's gone for what? So we can play twice a season against, you know, for what? For what? For money. Yeah, for money. Yeah, for money. Let's be absolutely clear. I mean, that's all this is about. That is all this is about. I mean, look, let me... I'm not... um, I'm going to try and not play devil's advocate, but is this not um, a progression of just what we have experienced in the last 20, 25 years of football anyway? That like, you know, some will say this is like the foundation of the Premier League in a a sense and that it it was inevitable. I mean... I think they're points on a a chart, aren't mm. they? You know, there's a relationship. There's a lot about the Premier League... I mean, there was a lot of resistance to the Premier League and the Premier League was born out of the idea of five clubs, essentially, in 92 or whatever it was, or slightly mm. earlier than that. And they pushed that through, of course. Um, and that was, again, about kind of, you know, redistribution of revenue instead of it going to the entire Football League. You know, the Premier League took the lion's share. The, the difference, like, of course, with the Premier League is that it managed to just about preserve the idea of competition, you know, by Mm. having promotion and relegation in a traditional sense, they provided a meritocracy of sorts uh, that enabled clubs to Mm. aspire to and reach that platform. And and, and granted, it was skewed in the favour of, you know, certain big clubs. But I think you're right. This uh, is, there is a relationship and football has been going this way it, you know, today feels for many people like the straw that broke the camel's back. But um, let me tell you, that camel ain't been looking too healthy for for a period of time. Mm. And it, it's interesting, though. This is kind of a, a a really clear sort of tipping point for a lot of people. I think a lot of what we feel about our detachment from our club and from our game has really come home to roost mm. this morning. And... You know, I, I kind of have this feeling of this to me was probably inevitable. Um, you know, I think we've been talking about it for years and years. And I also have this slight kind of sick, queasy feeling in my stomach of, and I look I look around at Arsenal and I'm like, this has been coming. You know, we play in the Emirates Stadium. <laughs> yeah. I kind of have, you know, you know what I mean? Like, I know it's not the same, it's but the, like... The cognitive dissonance. To an extent, yeah, we've all know? been able to kind of play that game of being like, well, we love the sport and we love the players and we love the coaches. And actually, I think that will probably endure. Ultimately, people like watching this game. They like investing in these personalities. Probably that will endure. But there's so much around that that we've had to mm. kind of cover our ears to or cover our eyes to, you know, see no evil, hear no evil. Um, and it's it's very very difficult to do that this morning yeah. maybe impossible it is because it's just so cynical the timing of it as well and i i think what's happened during the pandemic and the losses that clubs have sustained has, has perhaps um brought this forward a bit you know oh, definitely there's no doubt it, covid has provided the perfect opportunity in some ways. A, Ugh, even just fucking, I know what you mean when you say uh, that, listen, but, you know, I, I know, I know 
I know exactly what you mean when you say that. But when you say it out loud and when you consider, you know, the realities of, of, you know, people can say COVID, but delve into it, the reality of what this thing is and what it has done to societies, to people, of course, to millions of deaths. families and all of those things for these fuckers to come along right now and use that to 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 sort of put this land grab in fucking motion it's really really annoying yeah well it's a power grab it's a money grab and the reason i say that by the way yeah apologies to anyone who's sort of offended by that no 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 no, it's not something i subscribe to but it's definitely true i think it's true from their perspective they feel that you know, a, a they've got the financial losses, which obviously they don't like. But I think also, um, <laughs> I don't know. I don't. I think in some ways it suits them to not be doing this at a time when there are fans in stadiums. I mean, maybe that, maybe they wouldn't give a shit either way. But it, you avoid protest effectively. You avoid, yeah, yeah. you know, a lot of the issues that might be created around that very visible resistance from fans on the ground. Um, I also think that. Probably, unfortunately, the absence of fans from stadiums and the relative success, probably in ratings terms of football in that period, has perhaps even enforced the idea that, well, if our, uh, you know, traditional supporters don't like this... Fuck him. Uh, well, I mean, did you see the... Uh, did you see Legacy the pro- fans. Yeah, the, from Dan Rohn at the BBC. He says, according to a source, some of those involved in the European Super League call traditional supporters of clubs legacy fans, while they are focused mm. on, uh, instead on the fans of the future who want superstar names. Well, maybe mean, they will be legacy fans soon. Because, that, well, I mean, gen- I've heard a lot... <laughs> anecdotally, I know of plenty of people who say, this is it for me. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, I mean, I, I've heard that and I've read that plenty of times and I've seen it on my timeline and we've so many comments on the on the website today, uh, on, on the news articles about people saying, well, that's it. You know, if this is what it is, then that's enough for me. And, yeah. and that, that's maybe a discussion we can have. Um, in There's a lots of questions about that. But, but, but... Uh, the club have treated their supporters with contempt in this instance in my in my belief the statement that they put out with no quotes from anybody oh. senior at the club oh. but a quote from one of the glazers and you know the sort of sickening stuff that we're getting out of Juventus and Real Madrid about being the guardians of the game and wanting what's best for fans no, I mean, that, uh, it, it, yeah. that, that that tweet last night, it was like, I don't know what, it was like being punched in the stomach seeing that mm. tweet last night because I know that there are people, you know, at the football club who are working there, who are, you know, who will feel the same way that we feel about this, you of know? Of course. Whose job course. it was last night to 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 prepare and put out that statement which would be at odds completely with what they think about their football club because it's their football club as much as it's our football club you know Uh, and they they understand what Arsenal is and what it should be and what we all want it to be and that that statement last night was was I mean if anything if anything highlights the disdain and I say I don't say I don't use that word lightly because it's not about 
indifference or it's not about not caring for Arsenal Football Club to put out a statement like that and the edict comes from on high it comes from the owners comes from Stan it comes from Josh it comes from KSE to put out a statement on this issue on our official website with not a single word from them about what it means how fans might react to it, how fans might feel about it, and instead to have a quote from the co-chairman of uh, another football club, of Manchester United, and I'm sure Manchester United fans this morning are feeling as sick about this as we are, right? So I'm not going to, I'm not going to talk about you know, yeah, uh, issues between Arsenal and Manchester United because weirdly this might sort of bring the fan base is a little bit closer together in some ways. But, you know, it's just so disrespectful and disdainful of Arsenal fans to put that out last night. It is... It's just yeah, dis- I agree. disgraceful. It is... Uh, that's the exact word I was going to use. It is a disgrace. I, I think you can make a cold-blooded, rational case for a sort of business logic to why this is happening. Mm. But I think for that statement to go out without anything from anybody at the club attached to it is shameful. I think it's embarrassing. Mm. I think it is absolutely a disgrace. And I, I, I include the owners in that, of course. I also think we've got a chief executive you know, why is there nothing from Vinay on that? I think it's an appalling oversight to not communicate with your supporters about this thing. Mm-hmm. And this entire Super League is sort of founded on the bullshit premise that supporters want it. And uh, I, I guess maybe maybe what we'll discover is that certain supporters do, you know, and maybe there is a split, maybe... There is a kind of traditional fan and a new fan, and maybe there is a disparity between what those supporters want. Um, but look, what we're seeing is that clearly it's not a unified position, and there has been no consultation. You know, there has been no engagement with fans on this matter. Um, but I, yeah, I, I can't get away from the fact that not not having the the balls basically yeah. to step out in front of it and explain it or justify it, or own up to it, essentially, admit it, or own well, the decision. cowardly as well, isn't it? It is absolutely cowardly to just hide behind the words of, of another football executive to put out mm-hmm. this blanket statement. I mean, they knew, and they must have known how it would go down. I mean, I'm not and saying you know what that- the joke is. I, I bet the first person who has to answer a fucking question on it is Mikel Arteta. Yeah, Probably. Probably. I mean, what, um, you know, I'm, I, I was thinking about this this morning. I was thinking about, you know, um, someone like Jurgen Klopp, who I think yeah. has... Very much on record as not being behind this sort yeah. of idea. Um, you know, I don't quite know what Michael Arteta thinks about this sort of thing. Um, whether there's a sort of egalitarian side to his personality. Um, but I think we know with Jurgen Klopp that there has been an awareness, or, or certainly he's demonstrated that, you know, he, he understands the fan experience and, and you know, he spoke about uh, various issues and came down on them, I think, on the right side, you know, on a societal level, on a personal level, I think he's taken the right um, the right point of view on certain issues so if he looks at this and sees Liverpool fans going crazy about it 
who hate the idea of it, who, you know, think about how many uh, European Cups Liverpool won, five, six? I mean, how have they voted? How have they decided to just obliterate their own history in, in, in a competition for, for this. I mean, mm-hmm. it, it is, and it, it must be sickening, it, right? So, like, what does Jurgen Klopp do if he has a massive objection to this? Or Mikel Arteta do if they have a massive objection to this when their owners, Stan Kroenke, vice chairman, John Henry, vice chairman of this idea, this abomination of a reality TV show, right? If they object to it publicly... It puts them completely at odds with the people who own the club. So they either compromise their integrity completely or they get sacked. Yeah, that will be an interesting one from Klopp. It will be really interesting. Particularly Liverpool's a a particular case study because it is a club with such a sort of rich socialist history and support. Yeah, yeah. This will be... <clears throat> incredibly badly received there. I mean, I, I think we need to try to to structure this conversation because I know that one question people have is, is this legit? Is this real? Is this actually happening? Or is this a play? And so I just wanted to ask you, like, what do you think about that? I mean, there's part of me that thinks, yeah, it's a kind of... Um they're, they're putting it up to them to see what they can get. I'm not quite sure what it is they want, you know? But, I mean, we've quit the European Club Association. Yeah, I mean, that's I mean, a tell for me. <clears throat> I thought this was a, uh, um, a negotiating tactic, as it has been in the past, right up until about 10 o'clock last night, mm. when it became clear that... You know, they were going to announce and people were... I think Juve were the first to kind of step down from the ECA. And that um, that's burning some bridges. Well, you know, it is. Some you know, bridges have really, really been burnt by this. Particularly given that Vinay was only elected to the European Club Association on the 8th of March, 2021. Yeah. Right? Yeah. So that's just over a month ago. Nice little statement from the club at the time about yeah. how delighted they were to see him elected. Um, yeah, hang on. What was the what was the, the great quote here? Um, boom, boom, boom. Uh, let me see here. The European Club Association is central to helping, uh, helping shape the future of the game with UEFA and FIFA. And uh, Agnelli said, "Here's this is the, the guy at Juventus. He said, there are too many games that are not competitive, both at a domestic and international level. Imagine saying that before you float the idea of a league which is completely uncompetitive. It, it, it does beg a belief, to be honest. Um, so, so I think this is 100% real. So do I. Uh, I think that the only thing I think that's likely to stop it is government involvement. And I think um, I do hold out a fair bit of hope for that, actually, because the UK government have wanted to regulate football for a long time. But is that not a dangerous road to go down that football is regulated by government? I mean, that, that is problematic. But I sense that the government will try to take the opportunity and with the groundswell of kind of opposition among supporters to enact that. And and let's be very clear, that has its problems too. And another thing to say is 
one thing that we haven't said is there's kind of no good guys in this. You know, I have not a great deal of time for Sky Sports or the Premier League or UEFA Mm. kind of getting out their violins because those guys have played as big a part in football spiralling out of supporters' control Mm. as any other. For sure. Yeah, I mean, there's an element of hypocrisy to it. I watched Gary Neville speak last night on Sky Sports and I thought he was great. I thought he, yeah, but you he's know speaking what he for, as a footballer. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, you know, but also he's speaking, you know, uh, using the platform of Sky Sports, um, which yeah. isn't quite the same thing. You know, it was, you know, it's it's not quite the same as what's happening here. I mean, they 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 um, they're using the rights of football, um, you know, obviously to make money. Um, but it's not quite as as destructive as what this no, is. No, I mean, know? ultimately, they are paying for those rights. Yeah, you know what exactly. I mean? So that, um, and that's what this is all about, by the way. It, why is the Super League happening? It, it is about creating, in their minds, a superior TV product. That's what this is. Mm. It's... And, you know, it will get picked up by Netflix or Amazon, one of the big streaming services, I suspect. And they'll basically think we've got endless seasons of premium content. Uh, that it, it, it is football finally repackaged into just pure content, I think. Yeah, no pretense whatsoever. No, no. But where is, and- you know... Look, you know, I don't think there's anything good about a, a, a sporting competition that has no competition or no real sporting merits that's only there for for the benefit of TV audiences and to sell subscriptions and, and all that kind of stuff. You know, what makes football great and what, what makes sport great is the element of, of chaos, I guess, or the idea that something can happen that nobody expects you know of course you know Leicester winning the Premier League and 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 it's the one that always gets cited but quite rightly so it was quite extraordinary and um while there's already a financial disparity between the these big six clubs and some others in the Premier League of course that gap's going to get wider i also just think inevitably because another thing some people have had to say to me is you know well we're already in european competition and we play that in midweek anyway so how different, really, is this going to make things? Very different, is my answer. What? Why? I mean, I, I kind of know why, but do you want to expand on that? But Well, I think <clears throat> there are loads of reasons, to be honest. I think the first is that with the increased amount of fixtures in Europe, um, I think it's inevitable that that becomes more of the focus than the domestic league, which obviously just changes the dynamics of supporting your football club. I think it it has a huge impact on that domestic league. You know, if if the Premier competition becomes the Super League, but the Premier League um, is not able to offer you qualification to that, essentially, then what does it matter if you come third or fifth or seventh or, as Arsenal currently are, ninth? It sort of ceases mm. to have 
any real consequence. Yeah. Um, I mean, the ludicrousness of Arsenal in ninth being part of a European Super League, the ludicrousness yeah. of Tottenham who haven't won a league title, and this isn't just because, you know, it's a cheap, easy shot at Tottenham, although it is at the same time. You know, they haven't won a league title since 1961. They haven't won a major trophy since when? When was the last time Tottenham won the FA Cup? You know, yeah. this is supposedly, you know, the, the Super League, you know, it is, it, it, yeah. And uh, to be honest, I think it's quite embarrassing um, mm. where we are in the league. And uh, the, my, my overriding feeling on this, and I've been asked to write about this, so you will hear this line from me elsewhere. So apologies, but I, I think that the Super League is basically a get out of jail free card for a poorly run club. That's what it is. Mm. Well, yeah, it, it, it it's good for us in that sense. You know, yeah, because we've been making an absolute shambles of it, and somehow um, we we are part of this, and and you know we are a big club, we are we know that much, but we haven't performed. How that how do we how do we marry the you know the the statement from the Super League who say mm. yeah we're going to do it, it's going to be great, it's going to be midweek, but you know we won't shirk our responsibilities to the domestic leagues. You know we're still going to play in the domestic leagues, blah blah blah. When UEFA and the Premier League, etc., cetera, etc., cetera, are saying no, you can't do this. How does that get resolved? How is there resolution there? Is this where is this where the bargaining side of things comes in because they put it up quite strongly um you know and and like i said we've withdrawn from the european club association uh you know which is basically a two fingers to uefa mm. so where did how does that get resolved i mean the premier league can say well no we don't want you but a premier league without united without arsenal without liverpool without city you know without chelsea they won't you know, without, say that will they no they can't i don't think they, they can't can. because like how do you sell subscriptions with the you know, with the greatest of respect to the other clubs. And I'm not saying we're a shining star or anything like it, but there is a, you know, there's a there's a fan base with these clubs that generates the subscriptions and the interest and all of that kind of stuff because of the size, because of the stature of the clubs. You know, a, a, a Premier League Super Sunday, which consists of Burnley against West Brom. And, you know, it's not going, it's, you know, the product is immediately diminished. And I don't mean that to sound disrespectful to the other clubs in any way. I don't, because we're all part of the league. And, you know, as we uh, Arsenal fans have discovered uh, this season, you know, your stature means basically fuck all when it comes to what happens on the pitch considering some of the results that we've had. So I'm not taking anything for granted and saying these these meager small clubs, but the reality is that, you know, in marketing terms, in sponsorship terms, in brand terms and all of that kind of stuff, you know, these these European Super League adjacent clubs would be a massive miss for the Premier League. So how does that get resolved? Well, I think that's sort of the gamble these six clubs have taken that they feel the Premier League is kind of reliant on them and that they won't be forcibly ejected. Um, I think from a kind of ethical point of view, you couldn't have any uh, qualms with it if the Premier League were able to take that stand. I think if, I, if Arsenal got booted out of the Premier League for this, I think they would sort of deserve it. Um, but I don't think that's realistic. 
And I think, I don't know how that gets resolved. Probably financially is the sort of sad answer to that. If if they have to smooth that over, mm. it will probably be in terms of money. But But that sort of raises an interesting point, you know, we're speaking about this as Arsenal fans. I cannot imagine the hatred and contempt I would feel for these clubs and this sort of falsified division if I was a supporter of one of the other Well, if, we, if we hate it, why wouldn't they hate it? There's this sort of arrogance and hubris oh. to the whole thing that, like, somehow... Look, the histories and the statues of the club are, are, are in many ways... Uh, for a lot of clubs anyway, predicated on success and traditional success. And Liverpool are a big club because they were a brilliant club and won the title lots of times. And Manchester United, you know, uh, have their stature and have had it for years and years and years. And Arsenal, you know, maybe we're not at that level, but, you know, we've had success down the years and we've been considered a big club because of that. We have our stature because of our reputation. There are other clubs, you know, who have, whether you like it or not, bought their way into it. Man City have bought their way into it. Chelsea have bought their way into it, you know. Um, but if we, if we hate this... Yeah. Why the fuck wouldn't the others? I mean, even that statement... Where they where they capitalized founding clubs, this kind of bullshit god complex nonsense that they've got, it is just it's 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 despicable, it's deplorable, and I hate every single thing about it. And I'm really sad that regardless of what happens, whether this comes to pass or not, or whether it's a tweaked version or some kind of monstrosity that 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 sort of morphs itself into existence down the line i'm so sad that that what arsenal have done will never be able to be undone because it is it's it's left a stain on the relationship between the club and the fans mm. and that's on the owners like i lo- i love my club i support my club but it's hard it's hard not to really despair that as an institution it has behaved in a way which is completely and utterly at odds with what we all hope maybe it's an idealized version of what we think arsenal is as a as an institution but i think the i think the widespread vociferous response to that tweet that arsenal put out last night tells you that for a lot of us, whether we're right or wrong, but in our hearts, our our, our hope or, or what we expect from our football club, they fell way below those standards last night with this. Yeah, I, I um, completely agree. And I think... You know, the, 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 the so-called big clubs have been trying to protect their own interests in football for a long time. Um, it's actually one of the reasons I've always been sort of opposed to FFP, because I think that was just a way of trying to shut the door once, you know, they'd kind of got to the top table. Um, and I think, you know, this is obviously a really extreme version of that. I, I, it, it, fundamentally, it's the the lack of competition uh, element that worries me most this the idea of kind of permanent residence in this super league 
you know, if we think Arsenal are sort of uninspiring and average and underachieving now in the Premier League, imagine what they might be without the threat of relegation. <laughs> well, I mean, at least, uh, you know, the other thing you might say is, uh, you know, if, if we like cling to some hope that uh, our owners are not complete monsters, and I think that's gone now, you know, it's the idea that, well, at least there's some connection between financial success and sporting success as it stands, right? So you get back mm. into the Champions League, you get more money. Of course. Yeah. And and the the, 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 the the two things can be sort of symbiotic, right? It's so a motivating if, yeah, factor. So if the Cronkies want to make more money, make the club more successful. But if you're in this thing where it doesn't really matter where you finish from 15th to 1st, there might be some element of prize money, but but you're sustained by you're sustained by just the existence. Your revenues are, yeah. are guaranteed to an extent, so there's less of a motivating factor. There's less of an impetus. Mm. I mean, I suppose the sort of uh, the reality is that you those revenues mean. I don't know what they fucking mean, but I guess I guess it gets to the point where these clubs probably, if this happens, probably have almost two squads. They can probably afford it, and it means that they are able to compete on multiple fronts. But it's such a distortion of mm. domestic competition at that point that it's sort of very difficult to invest in it emotionally. Um, yeah, it's a really sad day, and I think... Um, when you speak about the club sort of acting in a way that has, you know, shown a bit of a contempt for fans, I think really it's a lack of respect for tradition. And that's been going on for a long time. But, you know, the historical values of Arsenal are, are completely absent at this point. I mean, the absurdity of, you know, laying off Gunnosaurus. Uh, you know, I know it's, I know it, yeah, that's yeah, just yeah, a kind yeah. of symbolic thing. But then having this check coming in down the line. It's, it is pretty sickening. Yeah, I mean, with a question here, I might as well just do it now uh, for uh, from Twitter, from Alex, who's at AlexCullen17. And I realise it's a very niche part of the conversation, but he says, it's easy for fans like myself to talk about cutting ties with the club after the Super League announcement. But how do you and James feel about this as two people whose job revolves around the club as well as being fans? And, you know, like I said, I know it's very niche, but I think that the overall point is that you know, you can be, it's easy. No, it's not easy. You can say, or you can write, well, that's it for me. That's as much as I can take. I can't participate in this. I don't like this. What your head tells you, but what your heart feels is very different, isn't it? That like, you can say, this is, terrible and cynical and i don't want any part of it but you can't just switch it off you can't switch <coughs> off no. how you feel about this fucking football club no and, and some people will you know that yeah, yeah, i think yeah. there will be a percentage of people who are able to do that and that's what they want to do i can't um make that promise myself i think that I'm pretty realistic, actually, about the fact that if this happens, um, for all the anger now, and although I think the relationship between the club and its supporters may be kind of irrevocably damaged, uh, I believe that people will engage with and watch, for the most part, 
this new competition. What um, what happens when fans are back in the stadium? What happens when? Yeah, you know, there was supposed to be a fans forum meeting, I think, this week, and that's been postponed for some reason. Like well, at think- some point, there's got to be there's got to be some either face-to-face communication with the club you know they can't just hide away forever at some point they have to 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 make this public facing like they're in charge of the football club they've made the decision to do what they've done they can't just hide until it all goes away because, you know, at some point there's got to be, when I say confrontation, I mean, I don't mean like a fist fight or anything like that, but there's got to be, a you know, at some point the, 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 the people who are in charge of the club, and I don't mean Mikel Arteta here, because it's wrong, I think, to, to, to expect him to be the spokesperson for the executives and the owners, mm. like... There's got to be some kind of reckoning in some way, doesn't there? Yes, I think so. I mean, I think you're right. Vin, I was supposed to meet Fans Forum on Sunday night. That was cancelled for very obvious reasons uh, now. Um, They will have to put something out. And I pray to God they do it before Mikel Arteta has to sit in a press conference and attempt to answer questions on this, because frankly, it's not his responsibility. Um... So I, I really hope, I imagine we'll see, you know, the classic tailored interview, a member of Arsenal staff interviews another member of Arsenal staff and they put across their point of view. Um, I, I hope we get more than that. I mean, I, I can imagine the justification that they'll use. I imagine they will say, they'll point to their... times. Yeah, there'll be a lot of that. There'll be a lot of uh, COVID references. There'll be a lot of uh, pointing to the club's losses and in the previous year and the forthcoming losses that are due to come. And I guess their fundamental argument will be what they've always said, which is that, you know, they didn't, they wouldn't want the train to leave the station, you know, without being on board. We're better off in it than not in it at all. And if this is the reality, then while it's, unpalatable for some people you know would we not be better off as as part of this i guess yeah yeah. and what what do you think about that i mean i I can i can i i don't like it but i can understand it um (laughs) yeah i mean i i i can understand it as well i can understand it and i you know there there is the longer this went on with us underachieving as a football club, you know, if this was happening in five years, are we on that list? That, I think, is where it becomes really interesting because it's like, did Arsenal <laughs> need this to happen now? Well, there you go. I mean, there were um, stories doing the rounds that the Cronky was one of the main pushers That's for my this. Understanding, yeah. Yeah. The, the, that they the were American looking for this. And Florentino Perez have kind yeah. of, you know, driven the... the like, the you, I, I can see why the owners want it. Of course. Here's this yeah, guaranteed income. I mean, I mean, where is this money coming from? I know there's like so the J.P. Morgan. J.P. Morgan yeah, but, putting up 
uh, five billion, you know, mm. underwriting. Yeah. The idea then is that these clubs will auction off the TV rights to... Um, they must have an understanding of what kind of figure they would get. Otherwise, they wouldn't have been able to secure the loan that they of needed. Of course, yeah. Um, but they will have an auction and... That the idea is that effectively that's how this will all be paid for. Um, so yeah, that's the idea. But uh, what were we saying? We were talking about why yeah, they the want owners. To, like, yeah, like I mean, yeah, of course, Barcelona with a, a, a billion euro debt. Someone comes along and guarantees you three hundred and fifty million straight away, and then X amount every year. I mean, there's a good thread. I'll, I'll link to it in the show notes. Um, from a guy called James Corbett, who um, he has done an outline of of how the money is distributed. And the the 350 million figure, not every club gets that. Even within the the 15 founder clubs, not with capitals. Um, You know, there's a disparity between who gets what. The biggest clubs get the most. So even within this structure... There's a sort of the the decks are stacked towards the bigger clubs. That doesn't surprise me. I mean, uh, it'll be interesting to see what kind of sway Arsenal hold in that situation. Well, we're not going to be one of the we're 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 not one of the big ones. No, that's the reality. You know, we don't have an experienced chief executive who has built up these relationships over a long time. Raul so, yeah, Sanyehi I, I, involved in it, of yeah, course. Reportedly, yeah. yeah. Which is why uh, he was brought into to Arsenal. Yeah, and 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 this, you know, I had some interesting conversations yesterday about that, about how in the last five years Arsenal have sort of known, well, suspected that this was coming. I mean, everyone's seen the quotes They're that we did about ten years ago, Arsene Wenger. Um, you know, predicting it. I mean, everyone could kind of predict it. But I think the appointment of Sanye was partly to help Arsenal position themselves for this eventuality. Um, I've, Ivan Gazidis was certainly very aware that mm. this was the direction of travel. He's another one um, up to his fucking eyes in it as well, isn't he? Yeah, 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 with Milan. So it, ha- it has been coming, but it's still... You know, it mm. still feels shocking in some ways to see it unfold as quickly. Also, it feels like it happened very slowly, but also very, very quickly. Um, yeah. In terms of the story escalated. Yeah, it was just sort of yesterday it. morning. It was like, oh, fuck. Well, that's a bit, yeah, that's not going to be good if that happens. It's like, that'll never happen. And then it fucking happened. A couple of yeah. hours later, it's like, Jesus. Um, yeah, of course. And this was all based around UEFA reforming the Champions League. I mean, there are things in the previous system that that are <clears throat> kind of broken. I mean, it's their own fault, but Barcelona have got to a point where they cannot survive in La Liga. You know what I mean? Like they mm. are bloated to the extent, and I think the same is true of Madrid, that in a, a league that is not hugely internationally strong, they cannot sustain themselves. Um, Arsenal, we are discovering cannot really sustain themselves right now. So I guess something had to give. Clearly the the incentive for the owners is to have guaranteed revenue. It's, um, <clears throat> it's very similar, isn't it, to the American system, to which many of them are more accustomed. Hmm. 
But as a fan, it's just uh, completely uninspiring. And, you know, the, the classic thing of, will these games feel special when we're watching us lose them with that kind of regularity? Well, no, <laughs> they won't. Well, they will for a bit. You know what I mean? It's like everything. <clears throat> when this starts, there'll be... Sorry, my throat's fucked uh, this week. But there'll be... A, maybe I'm turning into Rousey. What a terrible thing oh, to happen. I know. But, um, yeah, inevitably, you know... Do you think I'm wrong about that? I mean, am I being too cynical to think by the time this rolls around... People are subscribed to watch games. They'll engage with it, and I think the world you will know. Keep turning. I, I kind of think that is what will happen because it's like I said. You can't switch it off. You, no, I mean can't. that's the thing. You know, what are our alternatives as fans? Yes, we can make our voices clear. We can make our position clear. I, I just. You know, as whenever you have these kind of breakaway Phoenix clubs, you know, as many FC United fans as there are, there's a shitload more Man United fans still. Mm. You know, people can't divorce themselves of an emotional attachment that they've built up over 30, 40, 50 years to a club. Yeah. It's not realistic. And so to go back to the question, which was some time ago now, about what do we feel? What do we do? I mean... We talk and write about the club, and I have to be completely honest and say, increasingly, anything that's not the games, I'm less and less and less interested in it. Like, that's not players, that's not sport. I find talking about, and I'm professionally obliged to do it, but I find talking about boardroom shenanigans and stuff like that mm. fucking dull, and it's not <laughs> something I'm interested yeah, yeah. in. Yeah, I agree. And I, and I feel like, what happens? What do we do? My prediction is that that's what we'll continue to do, that people will still care about goals and stars and bits of skill and wins and rivalry. I think those things will endure, but I just think that the only way to survive as a fan is to create such a big cognitive dissonance that you almost have to say, I ain't part of that. Like, but I appreciate that's too big for some people. That's too big a compromise. If you're putting money into the pot, you are part of it. Yeah. It's Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. Ready to get 30, 30, ready to get 30, ready to get 20, 20, 20, ready to get 20, 20, ready to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month. So give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. 
Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Complex. It is. It's just not, like I said, it's not possible just to switch off. As you say, divorce yourself from it. And yeah, I think that's what perhaps the most cynical part of this is, is that they know that football fans can't, for the most part, some will, I know some will, but for the most part, cannot walk away. They don't want to. It means they're already too much to us. Fifteen hundred quid for a season ticket, or seventy quid for a replica shirt every fucking season, even though half of them are horrific. And it says "Visit Rwanda" on it. Like mm. we we have shown, unfortunately, football clubs that they can take the piss, and they absolutely have with kickoff times, with ticket prices. They have learnt that they have got a captive audience. That's it. And for every fan who takes a stand and says, I'm not engaging it with it anymore, and I really respect those people, there will be a thousand who aren't able to do that. Yeah. Or, you know, it it generates new fans. The legacy fans. New territories, you know. Yeah. I mean, ultimately, you know, when I talk about a superior TV product, what they're thinking is, does a fan, and I'm going to say China, just to pick an example of a big economy the Premier League is interested in, does a fan in China want to watch Burnley, Sheffield United? Um, Or does he want to watch Arsenal, Burnley, or does he want to watch Arsenal, Real Madrid, Arsenal, Barcelona? Exactly. You know, does he want to watch the teams who are good on FIFA, basically? And... Maybe maybe that's not true of all fans. Like, I'm sure it's not. I'm sure there are loads of fans abroad, some of them probably listening to this show, who genuinely love the kind of mm. um, volatility of the English Premier League and the idea that Burnley can beat Man U or Fulham can get a draw with Arsenal or whatever it might yeah. be. I'm sure there are plenty of fans. But the mass market is the casual fan. And... I suspect their calculation on that is probably right. Um, Fans of the future. Yeah. And it's not us. And it's probably not most of the people listening to this because I think we're so engaged with, you know, the existing structure, the existing format, Mm. um, the existing rivalries. But, yeah, it's... uh, I just feel like it's kind of gone beyond... I feel like an old man. That's how I feel. <laughs> I feel like time, society and football is sort of moving. I'm only 34, but I feel like it's just moved into something that I don't fully recognise. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Of course. Of course. There's this hashtag content thing going on with football and sport and 
and all that kind of stuff. The way that people consume the game, the way that people view the game, the way that people view the people who view the game mm-hmm. is, you know, and people will different. continue to consume. That's the thing, and of course. I, 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 it's. Um, I don't know. I, 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 in saying that, I feel like, am I too, uh, am I too beaten? Am I too defeated? But I think I would say I'm realistic. I know the regard in which I'm held by the owners of these clubs Mm. as a fan. I, it's clear to me in everything they do. So. And yet here we are. Yeah. Yeah. I don't expect them to, and yet here we are talking about them. Yeah, mm. but um, yeah, mm. it's a, a really, it's a really sort of. I don't even know how to. Like I said at the start, there's I feel a, there's kind of numb. sort of emptiness, isn't there? Yeah, there's an it just, it, a lot of it feels pointless. I mean, like you talk about the Villarreal game, I honestly couldn't give a fuck. Like I know we should be talking about Fulham. Maybe we'll talk about Fulham in a bit, but like. Who gives a fuck? Like, it just feels like it doesn't matter. <laughs> it just feels like it doesn't matter. Yeah, exactly. And, and you know, if, if there are people at this football club and, you know, who are listening to this, and even if you're not... Like, this is what it has done. That's what this announcement and this participation in this has done. It's made... It's made... Um, you and I and many of the people listening to this who are as passionate about this football club as as anyone can be feel like the most important thing about football, the game itself, the matches we're going to play doesn't matter. What a fucking shocking indictment that is on all of this. And yeah. they should be they should be ashamed of themselves, but they're not. No, they're not. And they don't care, you know. And 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 I don't even say that asking for them to care. They're not. They're not going to care. Mm. Um, it, but you know, we are the ones who have to live it and experience mm. it. And it. Listen, it's a moving situation as well. I mean, this won't be the last conversation we have about this. Unfortunately. No, probably not. And you know whether it's something we come to terms with or or something else, you know, the initial shock of something like this and the initial gut punch of something like this wears off and you, I guess you adjust your own goalposts accordingly to where you can feel comfortable with with everything that's going on, you know? That's it. And I think, um, yeah, it's just horrible, isn't it? Because you're sort of like, we're the baddies. You know what I mean? We are the baddies mm. in football, and it's um, it's uncomfortable. Do you, just a final sort of question: yeah. Do you think what do you think the reaction would have been if this news had come out and Arsenal weren't on that list? Uh, question: I mean, I don't think that would ever have been a consideration. Um. I guess it would just make you really despise everyone who yeah. was involved in it. And if there are fans of other clubs out there, you know, and I know there are some who listen to this who really hate Arsenal right now, don't blame them. It does give you an insight into how fans of other clubs must feel. 
Um, to well, yeah, I mean, exactly, because they've all been just dismissed as an irrelevance, you know, as not good enough, as second rate, as, as you know, and look, uh, keep using the, the example of Burnley, right? Um, again, it's not to sort of dismiss them or anything like it, but how can Arsenal, sitting ninth in the Premier League, having lost twice to Burnley, look down their noses at football clubs like that? Yeah. It's just look. Will we um, will we take a break and we'll talk about some football and stuff in part two? Yes. Okay. Uh, let's do it. All right. Let's we will. It. We will take a break. Probably have a shot of something strong, <laughs> uh, and yeah. we'll do your questions and more in part two right after this. Welcome back to the Arsecast Extra. This is part two of the show where we answer questions that you send to us on Twitter at GunnerBlog and at ArsBlog, also on the ArsBlog Discord chat server, which you get access to if you are an ArsBlog member on Patreon. Before we get on with part two, I just want to mention something which I think almost ties in with this European Super League thing. If we're looking at that as a greedy um, capitalist uh, vultures doing their thing, I-, I want to point you in the direction of a petition to help save the Tollington, which is a pub that you and I know well, James. Mm-hmm, um, mm-hmm. Martin and Louise are uh, amazing people, have been great friends to uh, to Arsblog down the years. We've launched both of our books there. They're being um, hounded out by, uh, again, venture capitalists who are looking to redevelop the, the, uh, the plot. They're trying to kick them out because of um, arrears in rent. The pub has been more or less closed for the duration of the pandemic. So there's a lot going on there. And um, if we want to do our best to fucking stick it to that kind of man, there is a petition that you can sign. I know it's probably something or somewhere that very few uh, people listening to this uh, will ever get to because I know we've got an audience all around the world, but the Tollington have always been open to fans from wherever they've come. Um, you know, people have come there, got tickets from fellow fans, got to see their first games there. Um, so if you can, please do sign the petition wherever you are in the world. Uh, it's in the show notes. You'll find it in the show notes. Um, takes a couple of minutes or a couple of seconds, really, just to sign the petition and confirm your email address. And it will really help uh, our friends at the Tollington if you could manage that. Um, so, yeah, we, we'd really appreciate that. It's, uh, it's a difficult situation for them uh, to lose potentially your livelihood, your business, your, your, uh, the jobs for all the people who work there, um, you know, your home as well. So it would mean a great deal to us if you could sign that petition. It's a, it's a tough time for them. So every bit of help is, is welcome. Definitely. Please do, uh, go and do that. It's a really great pub and one that's, uh, had a really good relationship with Ask Blog and there's been a brilliant community there down the years. So sure yeah, it'd be a real shame if anything bad happened. All right. Um, football. Do you want to do, you got a football question? Football. Yes. Um, Jamie Murphy on uh, Twitter says, where do you stand on the Eddie and Ketia celebration? I've seen a lot of hate for him online over it for not getting the ball and running back to the centre circle. I mean, I mean, hard to, hard to, hard to care, isn't it, about this stuff? <laughs> I mean, the kid has barely played in what months, and he scores 
a goal in the what ninety seventh ninety seventh minute. I mean, I understand why he celebrated, for goodness sake. I know that you can have the discussion, well, we should just get the ball and run back and, you know, get the second goal, etc. You know, I I get it, but, like, fuck. You know, sometimes I, I, shit happens yeah. in the moment, right? Yeah, and also, like, it's not like we had five minutes to score another exactly. goal. Exactly. Do you know what I mean? Time was basically up. The game was up. Um, and also... It's a big goal for him personally. Like he's had a really difficult few months, not got any game time. Mm. Almost certainly he's looking for a move in the summer. You know, he needs to kind of advertise what he can do. I, I have, I was pleased for him to be honest. I was pleased for him to get a goal because he's sort of been on the fringes and not yeah. really had an opportunity. Well, given everything that happened yesterday, I find it difficult to get particularly exercised about that. Yeah. You know, yeah, me too, and I, and I was the same before all this uh, Super League news as well. Yeah, I mean, on that uh, from the Discord, WMD Gunner says, "Should Arteta have started Eddie or Balogun over Lacazette? We really don't have anything to play for in the league campaign, so why risk Lacazette? Considering Aubameyang is recovering from malaria, don't feel particularly strongly about it, but I thought it was an interesting question about the actual game yesterday." Yeah, it's a, it is an interesting question. I mean. Balogun was there. He was with the squad, apparently. I think he must have been the extra man because I don't think he was on the bench. No. Um, I do understand involving Enketia. I think, you know, what happened yesterday might have put a million quid on his price tag. And, well, <laughs> I thought we needed that money <laughs> at the time. Maybe Mikel Arteta did too. Yeah. I don't know how much he knew or not about any of this. I'm sure he was aware. But... Um, yeah, we risked Lacazette and it, it backfired. I mean, that's a... It's a three-weeker a, at least, isn't it? It looked it. It looked it. It looked another... Yeah, it's another, un, another bad injury. I thought as well, Granit Xhaka had got one, I have to say. He looked in a lot of pain. I mean, yeah, when he stayed down, I was like, oh, shit, because like he... <laughs> whatever else you think about him, he's not that guy. He's not that no. guy. That must have been sore. I mean, um, Lacazette, it looked like a, a pull at best, you know, a tear at, at worst. Mm. Um, he knew straight away. And that is a blow. He's been playing well. He's become quite important in the last couple of games, the way we've played. Do I think it was the wrong decision to play him? I mean, Mikel Arteta probably hasn't given up on the idea of rescuing our Premier League position and presumably felt, you know, this was an opportunity to continue the momentum, get three points. We don't play again until Friday, which is a relatively big gap at this stage in the season. Yeah. We've got another big gap to Villarreal. Well, not a big gap, but, you know, nearly a full week. So I guess he just thought he could get away with it. I wasn't annoyed about it in the starting lineup when it came out, so I, I'm not going to get too annoyed about it now. I, I was a little bit surprised not to have Balogun on the bench. I just thought if it was if it was a game we were winning, which wasn't an unrealistic expectation, it might have been a nice opportunity to get him a few minutes. What, what did you make of it? All? Yeah, I mean, like he is the senior striker we have at the, at the club right now, and it's you know he obviously rested Thomas Partey. I thought. Which um, I think had a massive impact on the game. I oh, mean, my God. I mean, I'm sure you've seen yeah. the screenshots, but that moment in the 
first half, I think it was, fairly early on in the first half, where El Neni goes backwards. You know, we asked El Neni to do, you, because you play basically the same, the same system, yeah. right? He was the one-man midfield. <laughs> and we asked El Neni to do a job that, like, with the greatest of respect to him, he can't do. Like, if you want someone to, like, keep the ball, circulate possession, you know, run around and make sure that there are five, six-yard passes being made, he's the guy. He is yeah. the guy. But if he's being asked to play the role, and I know Ceballos was in there as well, but, you know, what what party ha- is capable of doing, El Neni certainly isn't. No, um, I swear so- that I gasp at a backwards pass. Oh, I did. I think I did at that one. I think I, I think I even wrote it out loud in the live blog, if I remember. It was just like, there oh, There were a God. couple, but I, I genuinely was astonished. It was like, uh, yeah, it was an unusual thing to see on a football pitch in that instance. And I think Elneny, when he's been okay at Arsenal, it's been as a foil for a better footballer. And mm. when you're sort of vacating the middle of the pitch and asking a guy to be a one-man midfield, he is not that guy. And, and listen... I actually do approve of resting Thomas Partey, given all the injury problems he's had. I think it was right to leave him out. Yeah, what it what it shows you is that you you need, you know, people talk about El Nani as a good squad player, right? Mm. You know, he's reliable. He's you know, and I can see that. But I think what you you have to look at is improving the level of your squad players. Mm. Um, you know, he can do a job, but can he do the job well enough? Yeah, and and we're in a position as well where we're not we've not got Shaka in the middle of midfield. Well, that's of another part of it, yeah. Back. So our weaknesses in that area are being exposed. But somebody who could move the ball in a similar fashion to Partey, or at least in the same direction, <laughs> that would be nice. Um, so yeah, I think that cost Arsenal. I think it affected Arsenal quite a lot, actually. That particular absentee I think so there was a sort of you know in the second half um basically our 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 plan such as it was was to give it to Saka on the right hand side and see what he can do with it and it was quite I mean there was a period wasn't there maybe around 75 minutes or so where Mm. the same thing happened about three or four times in a row where Saka would pick the ball up on the right-hand side, he'd cut inside onto his left foot, holding off the fullback or whoever it was that was going with him. There was a shot, I think. There was a pass for Enkedia. There were a couple of moments, but they're all almost identical. It was like, well, here you go. Try again. Try mm. again. Try again. And Particularly I think was- in that last 20 minutes. I mean, yeah. it was like he was trying to get the equaliser on his own at times, Saka, you know, had the shot from range, played a really good ball into the box towards Nketiah. Um, mm. He was kind of, I mean, it wouldn't be fair to say he was playing right back because he wasn't really, but he was in that part of the pitch and he, he was absolutely the root. I think in the first half... It was quite strange. Had- sorry, I'm sorry. I mean, it was quite strange, you know, given how effective he was from that right-hand side, he finished the game on the left. Yeah, did he? Yeah, he spent a lot of time on the left in the final stages, so... Oh, yeah, that's true. In the very dying minutes, Pepe went over to the right, didn't he? Yeah, and Martinelli Um, was over there too, so... Yeah, I I, I found that an interesting swap, yeah, when Martinelli went over to that side. But, 
I think in the first half there was a bit more to be encouraged about. I think when Lacazette was on the pitch, he, he and Smith Rowe combined relatively well. We had that early chance for Martinelli, didn't we? Very, very early. Mm. Um, another decent opportunity that was well saved for Martinelli. Smith Rowe cut it back. Um, I thought we had our moments in that first half hour. It just became a bit. Uh, turgid and like you say Saka was the route to goal particularly in that last 20 minutes or so until Matt Ryan intervened (laughs) I've got a question about that actually go on Um, yeah yeah not specifically about his assist but um, Sammy on Twitter says what are your thoughts of Matt Ryan small sample size but I liked how commanding he was from crosses and considering we're going to be the stoke of the ESL, should we play him as a target man for his effective <laughs> flick-ons and knockdowns? Well, we also had a question on the Discord from Elliot Watson, who said, Good morning, gents. What do you think about giving Matty Ryan some more game time with any chance of going far in the league, basically dead, and Leno's going to be the goalie for the Europa League matches? Is it best to rest him for the rest of the Premier League and play, and play Ryan instead? Um, look, there's something... There wasn't a lot to like about us yesterday and our performance and... You know, we came within a whisker of losing our 13th game of the season, which is, yeah. But the goalkeeper going up for a corner and getting a header, which helps lead to a goal, you've got to like that. You've got to like that. Yeah. It's the first time I can remember. It's the first time I can remember for a long time anyway, an Arsenal goalkeeper going and doing something like that. For an Arsenal fan, he must have absolutely relished it. I mean, well, I think we had a corner just before and he almost got to that. Yeah, pre-assist. He's like the goalkeeping Alex Sleb. Yeah. I mean, he does well to get the flick on and then Sabahis turns it back across goal and Eddie Nketiah does that Eddie Nketiah thing of scoring from, you know, two mm. yards out. Um, generally, Matt Ryan's game, I, I, I mean, I would be in favour of giving him a bit more game time and figuring out, is this a guy we should sign? You know, I, I don't massively opposed to that and I do think that our Premier League campaign I don't think it's just the events of the past sort of 12 hours that are making me say I I don't really care about it massively anymore Mm. Um, I feel like you know from a competitive perspective the Europa League is kind of where it's at for us yeah well I mean on that basis then you 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 could make the case for a lot of Interesting selection decisions. You know? Yeah. Did I see you making the case? I can't remember if it was you. Somebody making the case for Miguel Aziz to get some game time. No, it wasn't me. But like, yeah, why not? Why not? Yeah, Wouldn't mind seeing it. Wouldn't mind seeing it. Um, I mean, we have one here from Hunky Watson who says, uh, Morning, lads. Does Lacazette's injury, Aubameyang's malaria, and Kedia's hopelessness, I think it's a little bit harsh, uh, considering he scored the goal for us, uh, and Balagoon's inexperience provide an early opportunity for Martinelli to start up front? Yeah, I wondered if we might see that yesterday. I have to say, I thought there was a possibility of that. Because, you know, given Lacazette a rest and Pepe could have played off the left. Um, maybe. I mean, he's not playing badly in the left-sided row either. I think it's worth saying. I think he had a, a good busy game yesterday and it always looked like he might make something Should have happen. scored? Should have scored early on? What do you think? Yeah, should have scored that probably. Um, there was one in the second half where he had a decent effort as well. Sort of slalomed a bit and in the yeah. box and... Got off a shot of goal, as he so often does. Uh, yeah, I'd be open to that. I'd also be open to seeing Balogun as well. I think, 
you know, I'm not saying let's start him in every game, but, you know, 20 minutes here and there in the Premier League, having had that opportunity in the Europa League, it feels like a natural step. Well, exactly. Start looking to the future, you know? Yeah, absolutely. Um, Here's a question that I saw on the Discord. Um, Now, where is it? Ah, Matt, Matt, Matt on the Discord. At what point do we accept that offside is subjective? The only reason the rule was introduced in the first place was to stop players gaining advantage by being ahead of the defence. This is best done in real time, and the best we can manage is for the referee linesman to make a subjective but fallible call. Drawing lines and using slow motion and freeze frames Mm. actually makes it harder to make such a decision. We could use electron microscopes, but it clearly doesn't help settle whether advantage was gained. In short... Should we just scrap VAR for being completely irrelevant? (laughs) (laughs) Well, I know if I say I I would do away with VAR after yesterday, people will say, well, that's because Arsenal had a goal disallowed and another decision didn't go our way. And even, you know, but I can't begin to explain how much it takes away from the experience of football match for me you know the i i completely agree yeah. the, i think it's the best thing about football is when your team scores a goal it's literally mm-hmm. the it doesn't matter if it's the first minute or the 91st minute the reaction is the same okay there's levels of course but you score in the first minute everyone goes mental there's still 89 minutes to play but that thing that putting the ball in the net is what it is all about and and var is taking away from that it's taking yeah. away. I mean, I saw, had a discussion last week on Twitter with a couple of people and somebody said that in the FA Cup final, they didn't celebrate Aubameyang's goal because they were just convinced that there was going to be some kind of VAR check that would rule it out. Mm-hmm. I mean, how sad is that? I'm not talking about from that person's perspective. I mean, in general, that what a brilliant goal that was. And you've been so traumatized or shell-shocked by the technology that you can't allow yourself to celebrate that moment in the moment because you're afraid it will get ruled out. I mean, yesterday's, okay, by the letter of the law, Saka is offside, but it's absurd. And it, it, it could be the rule that needs changing and not VAR. And people say, you know, it's, the problem isn't VAR, it's the implementation of VAR. And that could also be true. But to me, it feels like VAR is being used in the Premier League. And look, maybe fans in other countries have their own issues with it. We just don't hear about it. I don't know. Maybe it's brilliant in Spain and maybe it's brilliant in Germany and maybe it's brilliant in France and brilliant in Italy. I'm not sure, though. But our experience of it, you know, is is bad it it has detracted from the game and it feels like they're using var to micro analyze every single incident to try and find a reason to disallow goals rather than using it as a tool to get more decisions right or to correct this clear and obvious errors saka his toe is not a clear and obvious error. I mean, the, the, the fact that they spent an age looking to see if there was an offside for the Fulham penalty rather than saying, 
well, that's a, that's a dive. The video mm-hmm. evidence is showing us that while, yes, there was a slight bit of contact from Gabrielle on Lamina, it was not the kind of... Con- I mean, th- we're still unable to get our heads around the concept of contact not being punished. Do you know what I mean? People say, oh, well, there was contact. So? It's a contact sport. Players run together, they, they, they jump, they tussle, all of that kind of stuff. Is every contact a foul or worthy of a penalty? Is, is what happened with Gabrielle yesterday sufficient for a fucking grown man to throw himself through the air like he has been hit from behind by an angry, charging bison? No. Those are the things that VAR should be looking at. So what was the original question? Oh, offside and all that. Anyway, my point is, fuck VAR. To kingdom come forever and ever. It, 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 if somebody could uh, tell me one thing positive that it brings to the game, I'd love to hear it. I'd love to yeah. hear it. Because all it does is create delays, uh, bad decisions, linger longer. You know what I mean? They kind of fester because they're there. We're watching the replays. We're watching the lines. We're watching the fucking protractor come out back and forward, back and forward. Is it his toe? Is the what about what about his hip? Is his hip ahead of the? You know, it's just bullshit. It's bullshit. I could, well, as you know, I couldn't agree more, and uh, I really strongly dislike what it does to the game, what it does to the emotional experience of the game, you know, what it changes for the supporters, for the players. I think it takes away so much mm. more than it adds. Yeah. Um, I think it's been a complete disaster and I'd love to see it go. I mm. really, really would. Um, I don't think that will happen. No, neither Genie's do I. Bottle, sure is. Fucking genies. Anyway, here's a question <laughs> from Lucy, who's at Lucy Gooner. He says, morning, both. My question to you is, has Hector Bellerin's race been run? I can't see him being at the club next season. His performances have dropped off dramatically, and I missed Callum Chambers yesterday. Uh, I think his race is kind of run, I have to say. You know, I I think um, it just feels natural at this point that there should be a parting of the ways. And I don't think he had a great game. Against Fulham at all, I thought um, it was telling in some ways that he was one of the players substituted. Um, yeah, I think I think it's probably done for him, and I think it raises an interesting question, as we debated the other day about, you know, what happens um, at right back. You know, what do you do with Callum Chambers? What do you do with Cedric? But what do you think about Bellerin? I, I felt kind of sad watching him yesterday. Yeah, you know, he was he was the captain, and he didn't have a great game at all. I know he had that chance just before he came off, but I think it's sad to be honest because he's he's grown up at Arsenal and he's a really good guy. And if we bemoan an ownership and an executive that doesn't understand the club or the fans or the institution the way we would want he does he does mm. 
You know, whether you think he's a good player or not, you can't question that side of, of his Arsenal experience at all. And I think what's also been lost in maybe the last year or so of frustration with, with Hector is like, what a, what an exciting prospect he was. Like, oh yeah, you know, what a, what potential he had. And, it, you know, it seems really clear that the two injuries he's had, people think of the ACL injury, and I think that's a big one, obviously. But there was an ongoing ankle injury as well that I think has debilitated his physical level to the point that we are where we are right now. Like, the, the, the blinding pace is not there. It's not there anymore. Mm. And, you know, that was such an exciting part of of his game, his ability to get up and down the pitch, you know, at speed, because he could get forward and he could get back. You remember that, was it against Swansea? Um, where he sort of raced back from the halfway line and yeah. the player uh, went around the goalkeeper and there was Hector like, like Billy fucking whiz. Road runner. Yeah. So I, I felt sad. To be honest, I, I do think the time is right for a parting of the ways. Um, but like, you know, I don't bear any ill will towards him or anything like that. I think and I hope that wherever he goes, he can uh, enjoy his football and, and maybe get his career back on track a little bit. But sometimes, like you say, there is a natural time for a relationship between a player and a club to end. And I think that's where we are with with Hector. Yeah, and it, maybe it could and should have been last summer, um, but that's not what Arteta wanted. Um, but, you know, I, I don't think he's really first choice anymore, and that tells its own story. And, and there have been times this season where I think he's been harshly criticised, um, but yesterday was one of those games where I was looking at it and thinking, oof, you know, he's really not at the level he was or that we hoped for him to be. Um so with a heavy heart, I think it is time for him to get a fresh start. And maybe in a different team, in a different environment, his mm. career, you know, might uh, might change, might pick up some speed. Um, we shall see. Mm. But uh, yeah, I think we're watching his final Arsenal season. Yeah. Um, are we going back to Super League questions, or are we just? Yeah, we can do one areas? if you want. Yeah. Why not? Well, it's, it's a not pressing so much issue too, but. Yeah, there's a lot of uh, stuff about it. Let me have a look. If you've got one to hand, go but for You it, have but... a look. I, I, well, I just wanted to read this one out from on, uh, the Discord from Gagan J. Um, and it's not really a question. I mean, there were a couple of non-questions. For example, Chifinho says, not really a question. I'm just gutted. My dream was to always see, uh, was always to see Arsenal win the Champions League. Mm. Now that will never happen. Um Fleds says, how do you both feel this morning? I feel like I've been kicked in the stomach. A restless sleep did not help and the cold light of day makes this whole thing seem even worse. Is this the death of proper competition? Gagan J says, what's left of the game you fell in love with? You blink and suddenly it's not Rocky gritting his teeth at Anfield or either of the brawls at Old Trafford. It's a field of transient mercenaries advertising the latest training top, gagged by their own PR companies. His toe clearly touches the attacker's toe, has replaced the conversation about whether a foul is a foul. You can't even celebrate a goal now. 
Gamblers are punished more harshly than actual racists. Intergenerational shareholders are tossed aside and living living legends are snubbed from the board. We're mid-table and now this ESL shit, which is actually allowing Rupert Murdoch's company to take the moral high ground. So my question is, what the fuck is left? Which is, you know, as rhetorical a question as there ever can be, you know? Mm Mm-hmm. Well, yeah, I mean, I think it is rhetorical, but I also think in some respects we answered it in part one that, you know, there will still be things about this sport people can engage with, but it's increasingly difficult. It's increasingly difficult. Um, I mean, here's an alternative perspective on the Super League. Uh, Ringo Casey on the Discord says, while I'm against the Super League, we have known this was coming. And with Cronky at the heart of Arsenal, we've seen the human side of football being slowly stripped away to a purely financial venture for many owners. Is this just inevitability and the most sensible decision for a company that is losing status and money? Yeah, strip the emotion out of it and you can see why. And I think it is an inevitability. The minute that, the minute that, I mean. Was there another path? Something I've been thinking about since yesterday. You know, we we associate this with Kroenke and I think that's absolutely right. But is it realistic or plausible that Arsenal could genuinely be in the modern Premier League in a position where they weren't part of this? Um, do you mean in terms of the, the ownership structure that, like... What, I just mean, like, you know, it's tempting to think if we had... I, I think sometimes because we, our owner is bad, we maybe make the mistake of slightly venerating the previous, ship, previous ownership model a bit too much, and I don't know for sure we wouldn't have gone down this path that this is just the kind of inevitable capitalist swell of football happening. I I think so. When you're a club of the stature of Arsenal, you become a target, you know, um, for, for these kind of owners. I I don't know if there was a different path. Once you start getting into the kind of money that, 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 I mean, clearly, I mean, all these big clubs have the same kinds of owners, right? Like well, they're not, all owned by. Yeah, I mean, sort of. You know, there's there's a couple of different ones, though, aren't there? I mean, they're the of course, the, the franchise the owners, yeah, like the American uh, owners that we have and Liverpool have. Um, then there's the oligarch owners like Chelsea and, and Man City. Um, obviously, uh, Man United in there as well. Um, I should say none of them have their uh, kind of traditional ownership you know structure or person in place no but i mean it's just impossible to resist yeah um maybe with hindsight you could look back and say well there are certain things that we should and should not allow when it comes to the ownership of a football club yeah i mean don't you think that the premier league bear a lot of responsibility for this um in terms of, and the football authorities and maybe even the government to an extent, in terms of never kind of uh, mitigating against these clubs just becoming purely commercial enterprises. Yeah. Again, it's difficult. I mean, yes, in theory, that would Mm. be nice, right? 
Yeah, I mean, there's a, there's a. I suppose the 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 thing that you would say about sport is that the more level the playing field, the better it is for the competition, right? Mm-hmm. Um, but it's kind of impossible. And then you just get levels of that um, whereby, you know, the big clubs generate the most income. You think of what Man United did, um, you know, when they became a financial behemoth in the 90s, they were the first club to see the the potential for, you know, worldwide branding and marketing and all of that kind of stuff, you know? But that was yeah. predicated on their own success and their own stature as a football club down the years. Like Man United could have, could have had the best marketers in the world, but if they didn't have Alex Ferguson as manager, sure. Wouldn't make yeah. it any difference. David you know? Beckham. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, uh, you know, the idea that everything could be hunky-dory and, and fair play for everybody, it's a lovely socialist ideal, but it's not the reality in which football and the world exists. No, no, I don't think so either. Um, and obviously, you know, if you look at like the German model, for example, that's very different because you've got kind of 51% fan ownership. But I wouldn't be surprised if we see a couple of German teams turning up in this. Dortmund, I understand, have now said they won't be doing it. They won't. But, well, yeah. Bayern, I'm sure, will have to. You'd think. You'd think. Yeah. Um yeah, I don't know. It's just an interesting, something I've been thinking about, you know, how were there points in the road at which this course could have been averted? And and, and my sort of overriding feeling is probably not. Probably inevitably Arsenal was going to get bought up by one of several types of owners um, and probably mm. they were going to look to maximise their investment by guaranteeing revenue in this kind of fashion. Yeah. Um, it is sort of the curse of being a big, successful, theoretically successful club mm. in some ways. Um, I don't think I've got anything else. I like no, this no, one. No, I like this one from uh, at Skipper AFC. Who do you think Arsenal select with the European Super League 2022 number one overall draft pick after finishing 10th as a founding father? Um, (laughs) There was also a a question on the Discord um, from... Let me find it here. Gregors, who says, is there the possibility that given we couldn't get relegated in this fuck fair, that Kroenke would just sell all our best players for money again as it will make no tangible difference? I don't know what the rules are about transfers and stuff like that. Are there any... Any new regulations? They're talking about some sort of FFP equivalent, um, <laughs> which will be interesting. I think, um, I mean, here's the thing. I, I Listen, I, I may be proven wrong on this. I hope I'm right. I don't think this is about um, that money that comes into the club you know, going straight in Stan's pocket. I think it's about increasing the value of his investment and having those kinds of guaranteed revenues absolutely does that. I mean, he 
Someone said to me yesterday, who's quite well connected at Arsenal, said he will be weeping tears of joy. He won't believe his luck. And... But it's not luck. It's quite... It's design. This is not luck. This it's is luck, something- I think, to pull it off, given what uh, Arsenal have produced in the last mm. five years or whatever of competition. Do I know you- they've won a couple of FA Cups, but I think, I think he... I think given his investment levels, as compared to some of the other owners, as compared to, you know, the Chelsea's or the Man City's, I think... Uh, <laughs> It's, pl- it's panned out extremely well for him. Let me ask you this. Yeah. And this might sound massively cynical. How many home games a season do you see Arsenal playing in LA? I saw a brilliant tweet. Um, and I forget who it was now. But it was pointing out how many of these... Super League clubs have kind of amorphous mm. names, you know, Arsenal, uh, Inter, Real, uh, Bayern. Like, it's very easy to divorce City, United. It's very easy to kind of divorce them from their geographic location. Yeah. And I don't. I think that's a very interesting observation, the idea that there's something franchisable about many of these teams. Yeah. Uh, I, 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 don't, I don't know how soon that would happen, but I think it starts to become a very real possibility, mm. especially if... I mean, it sounds like it's beyond the pale, doesn't it? But then what have we just spent most I of think this we podcast discussing? We're well beyond the pale already, so anything on top of this can't be of any surprise to anyone. I think that actually seems um, highly plausible. Highly plausible. When your owner's got a $6 billion stadium in LA, that's, you know, it's got to, it's got to get paid. You've got and to again, pay for if it you're somehow. Fill that, if you're going to fill that with games, maybe better games between so-called European giants than your sort of standard Premier League fare. Yeah, I mean, don't tell, don't tell me that Arsenal, Real Madrid, or Arsenal, Barcelona wouldn't sell out in in, uh, in LA. LA. I mean, especially with those Spanish clubs. Yeah, I mean, it would be well. I mean, huge. You know, we we had games in the on the US tour. Um, of course, didn't quite sell out, but I mean, the the one in DC, I think there was a fucking very big crowd in a very big stadium there. Um, yeah, I think that's probably again something that's maybe something that, that is an inevitability and that we have to start coming to well, we have to accept that that's a real risk that mm. that's going to happen and listen Arsenal fans will stand up and make their voice heard as, in as far as they can and speak out I'm sure about that um, I just don't have a lot of optimism for it I really don't and, and I'm not saying that to kind of poo-poo anybody's efforts I just think they've absolutely shown us what they think of us. So it's yeah. quite unlikely we can change it. And frankly, in terms of like, oh, I'm not going to renew my season ticket or I'm not going to buy the rep shirt, whatever it is, this deal means they probably don't need your money on that. 
And so our that, leverage yeah. is... Yeah. Yeah. On that depressing note, I think we we should leave it there. I get the podcast out for people. Um, yeah, sorry it's not more well, that's- cheerful. And sorry if we didn't reflect. I know there are some fans who have seen them, who've seen, who think, this is great. I'm looking forward to it. I'll enjoy the games. And if that's your perspective, you are entitled to it. But it's just not how I feel in the life. No, me neither. Me neither. And all we can do is, you know, try. It's difficult when when something like this, something of this magnitude happens to to make all the points you want to make in a really concise way. Yeah. You know what I mean? Because there's a lot of just us bouncing this back and forth off one one another to try and come to terms with it ourselves. So apologies if it's been a bit all over the place. Uh, but I think that's just the nature of, of something of this scale uh, as you try and come to understand it and, and think about all the various implications of it. But you know, I think what we've done is provide you with an honest uh, representation of what we're feeling and what our concerns are. And, you know, it might change down the line or certainly, um, you know, as more information comes to pass, we'll either, I don't know how it'll be. All we can do is react with honesty um, the way that we did today. So hopefully, um, hopefully you enjoyed the show as much as possible, given the circumstances. Um, and we, we're still figuring it out as well. Yeah, you know what I mean? Like, I, that's the point the I was trying to make. Yeah. yeah, It's difficult. Yeah. You know, it's, it, it's a lot to process, a lot to take in. Um, and it's very bound up with mm. emotion. So it's not straightforward to talk about no. it. But as I said, this won't be the last conversation we have. No, I'm sure it won't. But look, as ever, folks, thank you so much for being here and for listening and subscribing and all the rest. We really do appreciate it. We are kind of all in this together uh, as Arsenal fans. So let's see what happens over the coming days and weeks and everything else. And of course, we'll keep you up to date here on the podcast and on the site as well. But we'll leave it there for now. Um, we'll catch you on the next one. Bye-bye. deserves the best and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market.